Alrighty, we've been dealing with the subject matter of the I Am's of Jesus. We're going to continue. And this week, have you noticed the song service a little bit would give us an indication that Jesus is what? I mean, it's written on the board, so it's got to be right, you know, handwriting on the wall. John chapter 8, verse 12, and Jesus spoke at this point again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Amen. You know, at this point in the eighth chapter of John, we've been taking that chapter, the book there, and we're going to continue going through the I Am series. Uh, we are in the third week. We're walking through the Gospel of John. And the idea behind that is that as we walk through the gospel, we begin to turn our eyes upon Christ. And I believe with all my heart that the more we see Jesus, the more we are transformed and changed. And it's not just about what he has done, but who he is. It's so easy for us to focus on what God will do or has done in our lives or asking him to do things in our lives, but ultimately we are transformed and changed. We understand who he is. And so often that is missing in our lives today. To be transformed, our lives transformed by knowing by seeing and understanding who he truly is. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this, And we, Scripture says, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Listen, we're not talking about transformation that happens like, like that. We're talking about ongoing, step-by-step -step transformation that occurs into the likeness of Christ. Now, the first message of this series, we talked a little bit about unveiled faces and beholding the glory of the Lord, how we are then transformed one degree of glory to the next. As we behold Christ, we are transformed. Now, the first week we looked at Jesus being the Savior of the world. Last week we talked about Jesus being the bread of life. And today we're going to talk about Jesus being the light of the world. Again, when Jesus was speaking to the folks, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees, notice verse 13, the Pharisees challenged him, are, here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I go. I love Christ. Right in their face, you know, push it back. They're saying, Jesus, your, your testimony is invalid. It's full of holes. How can you testify for yourself? He responds pretty quickly, I know who I am. You don't. I know where I'm coming from and I know where I'm going and you have no, you're clueless, he said. So here he is. He's sitting around. It's pretty an awkward moment, I think, at that moment. Jesus is sitting down at the temple and he's teaching. There's a crowd there and someone announces to them that he is the light of the world. That's very significant to the Hebrews of the day, what that really meant, especially the Jewish leaders. He's proclaiming something that was kind of rough, it ruffled their feathers a little bit when he said, I am the light of the world. And so someone says, you're trying to testify yourself. Basically, they're saying, Jesus, you're a liar. You're a liar. And so Jesus says, I'm testifying my, on myself? So? I know what's going on. I'm not lying. It struck a chord. Something's going on here. That statement that I am the light of the world offended them. There's a weird dialogue going on at this point, And Jesus is responding. Now, to the Jew at that time, to the Hebrew, especially to the expert in the law, for Jesus to say that I am the light of the world, there is an imagery there that they recognize. See, the law 
those experts of the law saw the massive meaning to that statement. So I think the best way to unpack exactly what Jesus was saying and what they were thinking about is found over in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Scripture says, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the shadow of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. That struck a chord with them. They didn't like that. Now the Bible tells us in Scripture here that the state of the universe at that point was formless, dark and void. And God in, of the universe said, let there be light. And as soon as he said, let there be light, structure begins to replace formlessness. And that formless became formed and the darkness put on its, was put on its heels. And the void, that which was empty, was now filled with light. And that's the process of what was going on. Formless being formed, dark being put on its heels, and the void being filled. And that's the, way, that's the way of light. That's the way the Lord wants to and begins to interact with his creation, you and I, particularly men and women. Now moving forward, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. Now that's actually a verse of Scripture known for the, as being a Christmas verse for most people. And look at this imagery of light about being formed and pushing back darkness. Feeling like the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on whose living in the land of a shadow of dark, a light that has dawned. Don't you remember that? Christmas. So when Jesus is saying to those in his, his audience that day, I am the light of the world, Jesus was claiming something that was very unacceptable to those who felt like they were the answer to the world. These are the Pharisees. These are the guys walking around saying, look at me, do what I tell you to do because I have all the answers. I am the example. I am your hope. I am the one who knows all the ways to filling your void. I am better than everyone else. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, I'll tell you what, in their ears they heard, I am God. You're squat. And they didn't like that. They're going to challenge that. And so when the message is, hey, listen, your testimony is false, he says, how can you say whether or not my testimony is false. You don't know where I've come from, and you don't know where I'm going. What are you talking about? Now remember, the one who's talking at that point, he's standing before them. He is, in fact, the Word made flesh. So when God says, let there be light, who's the active force of creation? Who was? We know Jesus was. Jesus is like, I know exactly where I've come from. I know exactly where I'm going. In fact, Revelation 22 actually spells it out. Then the angel showed me the river of life. The water of life is crystal clear, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down in the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood a tree of life, having twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And its leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse, praise God. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants, His servants will serve Him all day. They will see His face. I love this verse. They will see His face and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no light, no more night. They will what? They will not need the light of lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and forever. And the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. Verse 4 says, and on that day they will no longer need the sun or the moon, for the glory of the Lord will be their light 
Jesus said, I know exactly where I have come from. I know exactly who I am, and I know exactly where I'm going. Amen. You know, Scripture tells us there's the day coming when there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. There'll be no longer need for the sun nor the moon. You don't need it. Why? Because Christ himself, he will illuminate all that's there. That illumination is better than the sun now. And we don't need any reflection because the light will be in our midst. And so Jesus, that's Jesus' answer. That's his rebuttal to their statement, their accusation. You're a liar. And that's what he says. If I was them, I think I would just shut my mouth and just kind of go away with this one. He blew this one. How do you know that I'm a liar? Do you have some kind of evidence? Can you show something? He's making his bold claim. I alone, he says, have taken the formless and I have formed it. I alone took darkness and put it on its heel. I alone have filled the, form, I have filled the void with life. And that actually becomes today's outline. The points of the message this morning. That we're going to go from formless to form, from dark to light, from void to fill. Amen. Formless to form. I think that's the question that's on so many people's lives today. And that's why there's so many folks out there saying they have the answer. We're running from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And that's the question in everybody's mind. They want to know what is the chief end of man? If I was to put it in more common languages, what are we here for? Why am I here? Why do I exist? What's this all about? I think the answer is actually found in Psalm 1. 45. As you read through this, you get the answers. Kind of, as you mix through, kind of read through the lines, see the, the theme of the, the actual subject matter here, you'll get to know exactly what the purpose of mankind is. Look what he says this I will exalt you, my God. Now David's talking, I will exalt you, my God, and the king. I will praise your name forever and forever. Every day I will praise you. I will exalt your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness. No one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of your glorious splendor, of your mercy, of your majesty. And I will meditate upon your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works. I will proclaim of your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyful singing. Sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all, has compassion on all he has made. All you, have, all you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of your glory of the kingdom and speak of your might. So that men will, may know of your mighty acts and glorious splendor of your kingdom. The answer is there within those verses. Chief end of man is to glorify God. And the way we glorify God is not just by our song, but by enjoying Him forever. There's that relationship that's so important. That's the purpose of our life. That's the very purpose of all of our lives. It's to glorify God, to enjoy Him forever. And it's an amazing purpose when you think about it. You say, well, Pastor, how do I do that? It's not that difficult. All you need to do is order your life around His commands, around His principles and around His person. Amen. Because those principles and person are meant to lead us into the fullest life possible. Now, here's the thing. Here we get into the message now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says this, And may God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body became blame, become, kept blameless at the coming 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we go on to Galatians chapter 5, and it says this, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are what? In conflict with each other. There's a struggle there. So that you do not know, so that you don't do what you want to do. Ever been in that situation? You know what you ought to do, but gee whiz, don't do it, do you? And then after you do it, you go, come on, man, what did I do that for? What did I do that for? When I read these verses of Scripture, I find out what God's real purpose is in our lives. And not just for you and I, but for all of mankind. His desire is that we be a whole person. And he's dividing, he's telling us exactly what we're made up. He's saying, you are not just you, but you're made up. This, you, are, you are spirit, you are soul, and you are body. There's a harmony he wants between the three. Now, if that's the truth, and that being the truth, we just read it, that he wants a harmony between spirit, soul, and body, then I would think salvation itself should be kind of a three-part process. Say, come on now, Pastor Bob. Now listen to me now. Follow me in this. This is important. We're talking about Jesus being the light of the world. And so often we miss this. First of all, there has to be salvation of your spirit. Scripture says. When we're born again by the word of God, the scripture says that our spirit is eternal, imperishable, or it is just, well, it's destructible. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 and 25 says, we have been born again, not of perishable seed, but what? Of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like a flower of the field of grass withers and fall, and the flowers fall. But verse 25 says, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So what the scripture is telling us clearly is that our spirit is made alive and we become a brand new creature. In fact, 2 Corinthians begins to bring up, therefore, he says this, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone and new has come. And we go back to scripture and don't have a lot of time to dig into it. We do more in Bible study, but our spirit, when our spirit is saved, that moment it's saved, God's spirit, amen, praise God, the word of God when it's conceived in us, we're born again. And we shouldn't be, shouldn't be surprised. Jesus said, you must be born again. There has to be a transformation and a change in your life. Your spirit has to become alive. You must. And so in that sense, Paul is talking about a transfer of kingdoms from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. Colossians brings that up. Colossians chapter 1. He says, for he rescued us from the what? Say it with me. The dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his, kingdom of his son the Son He loves. And so our spirits are made alive at that point, are awakened, so to speak, when we're born again, so we can actually worship our Lord in spirit and in truth. And that's what John chapter 4 tells us. Jesus said that. He said a time was coming and has now come. The true worshipers will worship Father in what? Spirit and in truth. And for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. There's a movement today, and we've talked about it before, where all of a sudden we're worshiping worship. And the truth of the matter is we worship our God. And we're not worshiping Him for all the things we can get from Him, all the things He can do for us. Worshiping Him for who He really is. Amen. And I'll tell you what, and in that setting, we are transformed and changed. And that's the reason why we need to get a greater understanding of who He is. Amen. So we can worship Him. I mean, where else can we go? Who else has eternal life? Who else, amen, can deliver? Who else, amen, is God? None. None whatever. So our salvation, 
When we talk about our salvation of our spirit, when I read this, I recognize it's kind of like the down payment, amen, the ceiling of the promise of salvation, saying that the rest of our soul and our body, the rest of us is going to be saved, it's going to be transformed. So the down payment, spirit is alive. Look at Ephesians says, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked with him a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of God's glory. So there, first of all, there has to be within the process of salvation, there has to be the saving of our awakening of our spirit so that God can communicate to us through our spirit, right? Amen? And then there's the next one. There needs to be a salvation of our soul. And we've talked about the soul. And Wednesday nights, and in fact, several, well, some time ago on service, we went through the whole tabernacle, the wilderness, and we talked about the body, soul, and spirit. We talked about enlightenment in the tabernacle. We understand what the soul is. And so the scripture is talking about how important it is that our soul be saved. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Scripture talks about that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my friends, as, have, as you have always believed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to what? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's something that has to go on. Praise God, our spirit's alive, but it just doesn't settle. There's some people say, you know, if I go through the motion, I say the sinner's prayer, I sign a little piece of paper that says, I accept Jesus as Savior, I'm born again, like everything's okay now. I go about my business, I check that list off, you know, on the things I need to do, and I go about my business. The Lord says, no, you've got to work out your salvation with fear and traveling. Praise God that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but He's looking for something more to happen in our life. There needs to be something more. He's looking for a fullness, a wholeness in our lives. He doesn't want our spirit only to be alive. He wants that soul to be transformed. And we understand the soul is made up of what? Mind. Say it with me. Will. And emotion. Well, guess what our subject is going to be next Wednesday night? <laughs> Do it again. Our mind, will, and emotion. That's part of our soul. It's part of our, that's part of our personality. That's why we make it, how we make our decisions. It's there. That needs to be transformed. That needs to Experience salvation. It has to be there. You know that. It's a struggle. Because before our spirits were alive, our emotions, our minds, and our will controlled and dictated what we're going to do. Now our spirit's alive. Guess what? There's going to be a conflict between the spirit and now the soul at this point. Who's going to control, right? I'll tell you what. Whichever you feed. Now remember the old, the old illustration about these two tigers and they're going to fight each other and you ask, you know, which one's going to win? And the one that's going to win is the one you feed, right? And so it's the same way. If we're going to allow the spiritual man to grow and to win and be victorious, then we need to feed the spiritual man. It only makes sense. But so often we, we make the statement that Jesus is going to be Lord of our lives and go about our business, but we never build up the spiritual man and we fall back to the old ways of mind, will, and emotion. Well, it feels good, you know. I've got to make that kind of choice. Well, the Scripture says very clearly that our soul needs to be transformed and saved. And lastly... Our bodies need to be glorified. They need to be born, amen, from the dead. In fact, Jesus tells us very clearly that he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the, free, first, the beginning and the firstborn among the dead so that in everything we might have supremacy. So it's not just a matter of a spiritual walk or just having our souls put in place, but also there's going to be a physical transformation and change, and it's going to come as the body's glorified. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Dear friends, now you what? 
Now you, we are children of God. At one point we weren't, but something happened that made them now children of God. We got to say everybody's a child of God. No. no. Dear children, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. Talking about the salvation of our bodies. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And when that happens, when he appears, the scripture says that our bodies will be transformed from one of flesh and blood to one of bone, flesh and bone. We could spend a lot of time even dealing with that because the Old Testament says that we are made up of flesh and blood. But often in the blood, the life is in the blood. But there's a transformation made. So no longer are we flesh and blood, but we're flesh and bone. The life's no longer in the blood. We'll deal with that in another subject. Another time. But it's a good study. It's something important. Transformation being changed. Amen. Let's go over Luke chapter 24. This is what happens here. Jesus is talking. He brings this out. While they're still talking about this, Jesus stood in the midst of them. They freaked out. <laughs> what do you think? He said, Peace be unto you. He had to say that because he got to calm them down. They were startled and frightened, thinking he sh they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do you doubt? Rise. Let his doubt rise in your mind. Look at my hands and my feet. Is it I myself? It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bone. As you see, I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? He gave them a piece of boiled, broiled fish. He took it. Gave it to them and ate in their presence. Oh, I'm not really prone to fish, but I guess I could learn. <laughs> See, when our bodies are saved, when our bodies are, listen to me. Here's the scripture say. So here's our spirit, our soul, and now our bodies. When our bodies, we're living in this hope that these bodies are going to be transformed and changed. Now the scripture says, while we're here today, we are, back up, jump too quick, back up. He says, therefore, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart, folks. I know there's more wrinkles than there used to be. I understand that, you know, the hair's getting a little gray. Don't, don't worry. Outwardly, you're wasting away. That's not maybe a good encouraging thing, but it's just the truth, right? Amen. But inwardly, <laughs> you're being renewed day by day. Amen. And that's a good thing. That's an exciting thing. We're being transformed. So this process by which our bodies are being are saved is actually, if you go into 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, it gives us the detail of a body's transformation and change. So here's God's desire for us. God's desire is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, that, don't be conformed any longer to what the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is dealing with the soul, body, mind, and spirit, right? Or, I'm sorry, uh, mind, will, and emotions. He said, I want you to be renewed by the mind. Then you'll be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good pleasure and perfect will. People say, I want to know what God's will is. Well, has your mind be, is your mind being transformed? You're trying to figure out what God's will is for your life. Well, is your mind being transformed? If your mind's being transformed, then you'll know what God's will is for, for your life. Amen. Now, as I look at this passage of Scripture, and I begin to see it all come together when it comes to the, the spirit, soul, and the body, I think, wow, that's wonderful. It's amazing. God, in His great wisdom, 
is revealing something to us. Not only does he tell us about it, but he also gives us visual aid. And this is something we've talked about several times in Bible study. He gives us the, the visual aid, the illustration of the tabernacle in the wilderness. Right? We've gone through this many, many times. You have the gate and you have the, the altar of incense or the, uh, all of the different elements going through. What I want you to see is this. This is kind of like a board game. It just struck me that way. It's kind of like a board game. Where do you start? You start at the beginning. You start at the gate, right? And the scripture says Jesus is the way. He is the gate. There's no other way. Right? Now the goal of this board game is get into the holies of holies. The most holy place. That's the game. That's the end. That's what you're looking to do. Amen? And from the start to the holy place, the most holy place, that's your journey. That's your pilgrim's journey. Okay? You follow me so far? Now when you are out... Let's see if I get this thing. I guess it's someplace up there. Little red dot. Anybody see a little red dot? No, not yet. I don't either. So anyways, it's up there. Praise God. Take it by faith. But anything outside, where I have a soul, I have, a, I have spirit, soul, and body, there's an outside. If you notice, that's the outward, outer darkness. Okay? And everybody, everybody kind of starts off there. We're in the outer darkness. And that's where we are. And we've got to enter through, begin this pilgrim journey through the gate, which is Jesus himself. Okay? Now there are some people who just stand outside the gate, then go in, but they're still in outer darkness. That's where they are. The path we're to take is to go through the gate. Now, there's some folks who remain in outer darkness. They're enslaved to the world. Or we'll talk about that as carnality when it talks about the way we think with our minds. So, the phase one of salvation is known as our justification. That's when our salvation is to our spirit. We are moved from the outer court through the gate of Jesus, and so now we're in the outer court. Phase two is sanctification. That's the salvation of our soul. That's going into the holy place. That's where our mind, will, and emotions are transformed and changed. That's where we are today. That's where we are. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, praise God, at this point, you're being washed by the Word, and etc. At this point, you have uh, you received the, the blood of Jesus being applied to our life spiritually. And now you're going to enter into the holy place, and that's where we're going to find our minds being transformed and changed. Through the Word of God, we begin to change things. That's the process. And when that's occurred, then the next step is going to be, after the soul has been sanctified, that cleansing goes on, we now enter into the, the spiritual man is, is now transformed and changed. And now what's happening at that point, glorification is going to occur. And that's when we get to see Jesus face to face. Glorification is going to occur while we're breathing on this old earth. But we're being prepared one day to see him face to face. Amen? And our bodies will be glorified. Thank God for that. Now, I can't go any deeper than that because I think you guys probably want to get home at some point. But we'll take that up a Bible study maybe again at some point. But anyways, go back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 12, 11. This is where, verse 15. Look what it says. Verse 17, whatever verse it is. The spirit, look at The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit is contrary to that sinful nature. They are what in conflict, say it with me, conflict with each other, so that you... Don't do what you want to do. So the scripture says, here's that pilgrim's progress, that pilgrim's journey, but there's a conflict that goes on in between that from one phase to the next. And we recognize that. 
There's this wrestling between our sinful nature, our soul, which is made up of mind, will, and emotions. And our, our, our soul, our mind, will, and emotion begin to struggle over the things of God. We read the Word of God, and I don't like that. We struggle. God said, I don't know if I like that. That's not, that, that, that's not how I see it. There's that struggle that goes on in our lives. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't care if you agree with it or not. You're a moron. That probably wasn't politically, that wasn't politically correct. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, you're, you're, you're carnally minded at that point. That's how you're thinking. Are you kidding me? Open your eyes. Let's come on, man. You got to see things clearly. You can't because your spirit's dead. You don't recognize who Jesus is. You haven't accepted that at this point. You don't recognize his word. You're focused on the physical. That's being carnally minded. You have a mindset. Your mindset is fueled with what you feel. Your experiences, you're involved in your environment. And that's the reason why there's stress. And that's the reason why there's anxiety. Because you're always seeing things in the physical. And as far as that stress and anxiety, it manifests in the physical. Anxiety is, you know what anxieties come from? It's built upon the fact that you believe something to be true. Kids, you've got to be careful, man. There's this, there's this puppet called Charlie. It's a little guy. It's one of the ventriloquist kind of things, little Charlie, you know. But apparently they've made Charlie a monster. Where Charlie does some really mean things. Okay, he's bad. Well, kids watch this and they freak out. They don't want to see the ventriloquist little dummy doll called Charlie because he's got some other name and he'll destroy people. And so all of a sudden there's fear. They're actually believing that this Charlie can turn into this monster and kill people. They believe that and it affects their emotion. They're physically seeing this. They heard this. They think it's true and now they're freaking out. Don't call me Charlie. Don't. Where is he? Lock him up. I don't, I don't. They're afraid because what they believe is true to them. It's true. Now that's the same thing that happens. The scripture says because you, your mindset is fueled with what you're feeling and all of a sudden you are allowing that false to control your body. See, when you're outside the relationship with Jesus Christ, you're way outside of what you're designed to be. So in a really, in a really, in a real sense, you're unformed and formless because you're living outside of what God has called you to be, what He desires you to be. And yet, when we come to Christ, who is the light of the world, he begins to form us. He says, let there be light. And all of a sudden, we're seeing things differently through his eyes. We begin to see things through the kingdom, the purpose of our God. Because it's not about what he can do. It's about who he is. He is the light the light of the world. And as we accept him as being the light of the world, we begin to take in the word of God. This process of being sanctified begins. There's a transformation, a change in our lives. And we're set out now on our pilgrim journey. And someone says, yeah, I've been on this journey for a really long time. It takes too long. I want to hurry up a little bit. I understand it takes some time. It may not be going as quickly as you want it to go. It may be moving slower than you want your husband to move. You know, it's, whatever it is, it's taking him too long. But I'll remind you of something. When you come out of the womb, you come out basically 99% cartilage, right? There ain't much to you at that point, right? In fact, there's a hole on top of your head. If you push it, something bad can happen. And it takes a little process, a little bit of period of time, right? 
you begin to, after a little while, you begin to feed yourself. You begin to, to crawl a little bit. You know, at some point you're able to walk. You're then able to run. I understand it's slow, and it's slower than you may want it to be in your life, the spiritual transformation and change. But that's how the Lord wants us to grow. It's slower than we like, but we are being formed. And that's good news. So chill out. Give everybody a little chance to grow. Amen. So look at each other. My, 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 my granddaughter's talking before you've talked. I don't know. Stop comparing each other, man. Everybody's kind of doing their thing, and everybody's kind of growing. We're here to encourage one another. Is that true? Yeah, that's the way you're supposed to be anyway. So that's good. So anyways, you're being formed. Now, talk about dark to light. That's what we're looking for. Jesus said that. He's going to take darkness, right? And he's going to bring light into it. The Bible says that you're outside of the relationship of Jesus Christ. He says you are now in the dominion of darkness. That's what it is. And when we become Christians, Colossians says we are transformed, out, transferred out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And the moment you move out of darkness, you're moving into light. Now, if you're not a Christian, then the Bible says you're walking around in spiritual blindness. You simply don't get it. You don't see what ultimately is real. Now, you can see some things, but it's not ultimate. You can feel some things, but it's not ultimate, right? You can, <laughs> because you're still the dominion of darkness. And you're trying to navigate through life without knowing what's ultimately there. And you're running and you're running and you're running. You're going here, there, and everywhere. You don't even know if you're running in the right direction. You're just running. Just go. You're walking in darkness. And you're stumbling around. Now, many of us have been in this situation. And I, I can remember this years ago. In fact, to this very day, I've been in this building now for many, many years. Did a lot of work in this building. I pretty know much every corner, nook, and cranny of this building, right? Yet when the lights are off, I'm still like this. There was a time when I walked down downstairs, and Mr. Big Shot, I know exactly what's going on. I know where everything is. I walked down right into a door. Somebody left one of the doors open. And I stumbled right into it. And so you and I might think we know where everything is, right? Oh, I know where this is. I know where that is. But we end up stumbling, stumbling our toe, knocking our shins down. Something happens because we really don't know, right? Because the darkness is there. This is our spiritual state outside of Christ. That's why Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He's talking about illumination. The Bible tells us that when the Holy Spirit awakens our spirit, the scriptures opens up to us and we understand them in ways that we never could understand before, before we were Christians. Now when we read the scriptures, our soul begins to take shape. That's why we have to take the word of God in. Let's just not treat our service in our church as a time just to encourage each other, get us through another day. No, no, no. We need to be taking the word of God in so that we can be transformed and changed. Our spiritual man can be built up and strengthened so our souls can be transformed. Our mind, our will, and our emotions can reflect the principles and precepts of Christ. Well, when our soul begins to take shape, that fuels some of our emotions. And when our emotions are being fueled by the word of God, all of a sudden, we're free to worship now. We don't care who's around or what we're doing. We're going to worship the Lord. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to respond to who He is for what He has done. That's what light does. Nothing's hidden from God. Let me tell you something. You don't have any secrets from the Lord. None. Because we're going from darkness unto light. Now, if you're in the place in your life where you think you're better than everybody else is you got all the answers... Because you've done it all, boy. You need to talk to me. In fact, if you're somebody 
who once in a while says, well, you know what, if I were you, this is what I would do. Well, nobody's asked you. No one cares. You think we care. We don't care. You're in a type of darkness. Now, there's a fun game you can play. Ready? All those who like to show off and think we know so much. What if we were to take all of your thoughts that you had all last week and put them on the screen and we showed it like a movie? I mean, we're talking about your doubts, your fears, your lusts, everything. The things you wanted to say but you didn't say. And we just watched them. Movie night. Would you stay around and watch? Or you'd be out? Here's what David had to say. David said this. <laughs> I love this. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes dark around me, I can hide. The truth will never find its way around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day where darkness is light to you. I can hide and pretend I don't see a thing, but guess what, Lord? <laughs> it's not dark to you because you see it. Nothing's hidden. He is why. Why? Because he is the light of the world. So if we get this idea that God's not going to see what we're doing, I'm telling you there's no place to hide. David writes about this, and he's an expert. He's a murderer and adulterer. He tried to hide. And he understood it didn't work, man. I tried really hard, but it didn't work. Look at the scripture that says here in Psalm 32. It said this, Blessed or happy is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. I think we can, we can say amen to that. We're going to believe that's a good thing. Nobody wants to argue with that part of the scripture. Blessed a man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, whose spirit is no deceit. He's got nothing to hide. That's what the whole point of deceit is. You've got nothing to hide. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night. Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer, or in our case, maybe winter, the cold of winter. And he pauses there for a moment. He said, Whew. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Well, David is saying, pretty simple, when I was in the dark, when I was living a two-faced life and the embarrassment of confession was just too, too much and there's no way I'm going that route, I came to the place in my life where I no longer wanted to hide. And so I allowed my willpower to overcome the darkness. I said, I'm not going to take the easy way out. I'm going to bring light to it. I know it's going to cost me something. And Jesus is saying, hey, you might as well come clean anyways. I already know. I know you're broken. I know you need help. And I have help for you. And I'm going to shine light in your darkness. Because darkness doesn't overcome light. When was the last time you opened up your door and darkness jumped in the house? It doesn't happen that way. You open the door, light shines. goes forth. Come on now. And that's what Jesus is saying. He said, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Now you say, well, I don't know. I got a couple of secret, un not me personally right now, just chill out. <laughs> so my secret un unconfessed sin. Listen, folks, I'm not talking about general struggles we go through. I'm talking about something in your life 
It's marked by this constant cycle. You're being sucked in all the time. You don't like it. You hate it. It's there. You don't want anybody to know about it. But, and you try to overcome it through self-determination. You, you try to handle it yourself, but you get nowhere. It's been 5, 6, 8, 10, 15 years, 20 years. And you know what? You can't think any way out of this thing. It just keeps happening. Look what happened over in John chapter 8. The scripture says here, starting at verse 2, At dawn he appeared, talking about Jesus, again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, and I always thought about this, what about the guy? I just, one of those things I go think about, you know, he got away scot-free, I don't know. Uh, anyway, that's another message too. But anyways, they made her stand in front of the group and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses commands us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using a question to trap Jesus in order to have a basis to accuse him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw the stone at him. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, we don't know what in the world he wrote. I would love to know. No idea. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he's writing on the ground. And look what happens, verse 9. At that, at this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time. <laughs> no, the scripture says, the older ones first. Only Jesus was left and the woman still standing there. Why the older ones? My mind goes that way. Why, the, why just the older ones first? Why was that brought up? You know why? Because older men have a portfolio of failures. And younger men, they're still experts and smarter than everybody else. They don't realize it yet. Their time has come. They'll come to the place where they go, gee whiz, you know, dad wasn't so stupid after all. But anyways, here's this woman. She's caught in the act of adultery. And so the Pharisees, they drag this woman before Jesus. They have clear, listen, the, 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 the law is clear. This woman dies. She's been caught in her shame. She didn't confess. I want you to understand that. She didn't confess. She's busted. And they drag her in front of Jesus. And I don't know. She's in front of these men. And she's probably covering up a little bit. Waiting for the first rock to hit her. Hoping it may be a, hit her, be a head shot. And she'll just die quickly. She doesn't feel all the rest of the pain. And Jesus steps in. And he says, well, he's there. He says, look it. Let one of the one, one without sin first throw the first stone and thun thud thud. All of a sudden, these stones are dropping to the ground. He walks over to her and he picks up her head and looks at her in the eyes and says, where are they? No one's here to condemn you. Neither do I. Go and, go and sin no more. There's going to be a change in your life. It kind of reminds me of John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? Save the world from sin. We have a tendency as Christians to sometimes pass judgment on people when in fact we ought to be bringing forth the word of God to see them transformed and changed by His grace and His mercy. Can you say amen? I want to point out the fact that this woman, she has an overwhelmed sin, sense of guilt and shame, but she did not confess her sin. She's caught in the act. She didn't commit adultery and then wake up in the morning and go, gee whiz, you know, I feel sick to my stomach. She goes to the priest and said, you know, I need some kind of, I want to do some kind of penance or something. That's not what happens at all. She's busted in the act.
And you think about that. Here's a person who doesn't even confess at that point. She's busted. And yet God's grace is extended to her. This is a stunning act of mercy that God gives through Christ Jesus. Why? Because he's the light of the world. And he puts darkness on its heels. And so let me tell you something right now, right up front. And you don't need to admit this at now because I don't want to do that. I don't want to fight. No, no. If you're walking in some secret, unconfessed sin, it's going to end in one of three ways. One, you need to take the off-ramp of confession. Now, I'm not promising it won't be costly to you. I'm not promising that you won't be painful. It may even be embarrassing, but you take that off-ramp. Why? Because God wants to spare you from the hooks of death and destruction. Or you can take and allow His mercy to call you out. It happens all the time. And when you encourage one another, if you're here as a child of God, as a Christian, and you can say, yeah, Pastor Bob, there was a time in my life where I was living a two-faced life and I did it for extended season. Mm-hmm, now don't come. <laughs> you didn't come clean. You got busted. Amen. If that were the case, if anyone's like that, I would ask you that, but don't do this now. If I was asked you to raise your hand, hands would go up all over the place. It'd be an encouragement for other folks. Because when it comes right down to it, we are a group of yo-yos. We just don't get it sometimes. And I think maybe the hardest way is the third way of God's wrath. Where he will just simply turn you over to your sin to be destroyed. He says, look, this is what you want? Bingo. This is not what I want for you. This is not what I have for for you. This is not at all what I want for you. But you know what? Here it is. Go. Bingo. You got it. In fact, Romans chapter 1, verse 28 says this. Therefore, furthermore, since they did not think that it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he what? He gave them over to a what? Depraved mind. To do what ought not to be done. He turned them over to their mind. Let them do their thing. Get into their darkness. He says, you know what? You don't want what I have for you? Fine, then walk in darkness. And you see what begins to occur when God turns you over to darkness. There's this type of, of moral disintegration that happens in our lives. And you go further than you ever thought you could go. You never thought you could go that far. Jesus is the light of the world. He puts darkness on its heels. And then thirdly, he fills what is empty with life. He he fills, he fills that void. He takes that void and he fills it. And John chapter 10, verse 10 says, A thief comes to steal and kill and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the... Well, I'm not just talking about a little life. I'm talking about life to its full. That's what he says, an abundant life. And that's the very goal of this pilgrim journey that we're on, is to experience that full life, that abundant life. Now listen, I'll tell you right now, you don't have to be a Christian to enjoy a really good meal. In fact, you can be a God-hating a God-hater, a, a, a hating pagan when it comes to the issue of God and still loves steak or chicken nuggets, whatever you like. You don't have to be a Christian to enjoy a vacation. You don't have to be a Christian to, to enjoy a vacation on a beach or a mountain. None of those things require that you be a Christian. But I would argue this. In order to experience the fullness of any of those things, you need to have Christ. You need to be in Christ. You can have a good marriage and not be a Christian. You can enjoy a good meal. You have a good vacation. And there can be a certain level of intimacy without Christ. I understand, outside of Christ. Outside of Christ, because you're still unformed. Amen. You need to be fulfilled. You need to be filled to the point where you can bring glory unto Him and enjoy Him forever. Because if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, you can have all these good things in life, but you're going to hit a ceiling. At some point, it's going to end. 
It's a low ceiling, too. You can't get any further than that. For all you Patriots fans, there's Tommy up there. Hi, Tom. I ran across an interview that he had when he won his third Super Bowl. How many has he got now? It was interesting what he said. You see, we are kind of Patriots fans. Some of us are. Some of us are Giants fans. We can't figure that out. Oh, boy. He'll never be back. No, no, no. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, we got a few. We got a few. But one of the, in the interview with Brady, he made this statement. He's got the third Super Bowl ring. And he says this, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? That's a story, a lesson. That's a message. Regardless of what you think of Brady or the Patriots or whatever, but he's teaching us something. There's a lesson there. He actually has the American dream at his lap at this point. He has part of the country, not everybody, of course, not even everybody in this congregation, but he has part of the country worshiping like he's part of the Trinity. He has his own church stadium, you know, 80,000 worshipers coming together on a weekend, except today's a bye, and they chant his name. And he says, there's got to be more than this. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says this, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. Only what is eternal can fill the gap of eternity. And that's why Brady, with the Super Bowl rings and his victorious secret model wife, says, this can't be it. And you're right, Tom, it's not it. It's only temporary. Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. He's saying, I fill the void with life. We get a new heart. A new heart. We, we begin to see things differently now. We think differently now. Our mind, our will, our emotion, it's different now. We're not walking in deception any longer. But we're open to what is honest and what is open. Our relationships are deeper, deeper than they used to be. And it's not only because we are being formed, but also because now we're walking in light. That journey, we're walking in light. Think how much easier it is for us to have a true relationship. We're not hiding anything. We're open. And lastly, there's the purpose. That God may be glorified. See, life in Christ should not, be, should not be boring. In fact, it should be death to boredom. Life in Christ should be a death to boredom. Why? Because the chief end of our lives is to bring glory into our God and to enjoy Him forever. Which brings purpose into my life. It's purpose to where I work. Purpose to my relationship with my, my children and my grandchildren. I mean, to be able to reflect the light of Christ wherever I go. To enjoy Him wherever I am. Enjoy Him by lining myself up with his good right commandments, his precepts and principles, allowing the light to shine. It leads me to a fullness of life, the fullest life possible. Why? Because he's the light of the world. That light of the world. He has placed me on the path of fullness. He is the light that lets me see that. He's my hope. He's the light of the world. By the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to awaken our hearts so we might believe 
and Jesus is the light of the world. And those who follow the scripture says, who no longer follow, walk in darkness, but walk in light. And it's true. I believe that it is. Why do I believe it's true? Because he knows where he came from and he knows where he's going. He knows who he is. I under, he's, it's true. It's true. And so we need to come to the place in our lives where we say, Father, you know, some may have been in the outer darkness, you know, in the dominion of darkness, hanging around. We see the temple, we see the door, but we're hanging around. We kind of hear once in a while, you know, kind of like looking in the glass, looking inside, and, and, and still we're outside. And so for them, for us, we need to, we need to get ourselves right. Say, Lord, I'm going to take and recognize who you truly are. I'm not getting caught up in the denomination. I just want to see who you are. And I want to be able to grow. I want to be able to grow in you, to know you better. In time of prayer, I just want us to be able to spend a little time in prayer. We do at the end of service. And and should pray one with another if you want. The altars, pray where you are. Play some song here a little bit. But I, I want us to recognize that he's called us together. There's a joy for us to be together. He's pre- having us to press a little bit further in. And I want to encourage you to get a little deeper. Get a little under, more understanding of who he is. Forget about the church. Just him, who he is. That's important. And I would pray that, that you would pray that the Father would just say, you say, Father, grant us the courage to confess. Confess, give us the courage, Lord God, to, 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 to let your light so shine in our lives. Let's not be afraid, Lord. Reveal. You know, that's what we're looking for. Altars are open. I'll play something. We'll spend some time before the Lord, and then we'll close with him now. Okay? Amen? Praise your holy name. To sing his praise forever and forever, all day long. Amen. The ultimate goal of the journey as pilgrims is to find ourselves in the presence of the King. Our bodies glorified. Amen. But our bodies cannot be glorified if we first haven't entered, began our journey through that door in Christ, allowing our salvation, the awakening of our spirit. And then being convinced and committed to our mind, will, and emotion being transformed by the Word. And only then can we look forward to a glorification of this old physical. To be absent from the body, to be present with our Lord. Amen. God is good. All the time. Amen. And I know we went through some things and he's like, wow, you know, I just plant seeds so we can talk about it later on and discuss. Amen. This is the journey we're on. I want to give us reason why we read the Word of God, why we worship, why we want to change the way we think. We're not going to say, oh, that's who I am. I cannot change baloney with that. You know, in God's Word you can, and maybe a little difficult, but there should be enough folks around us to give us encouragement. This ought to be a place, a safe place. Amen. And amen. Because listen to me, i got enough on all of you. Well, not all of you because we have visitors, but i got enough on the rest of you to put you away forever. And I know you've got enough on me to put me away forever, so... We're in this together, amen and amen. Father, we want to thank you for the word you gave us today and it being the light of the world. And Father, I pray you'll continue to direct and open our hearts to, to a real relationship with you in a mighty way, Lord, because we haven't seen anything yet. And Father, I ask you to continue to fill this place with those of a desire for your word, not just to hear the word, but to be transformed and changed by it. And you receive the glory and the honor we pray in all things. We love you a bunch. Amen and amen. You are dismissed in Jesus' name.